Here we're going to start here on the top of Kuflam Adalam, now for the two dots. Lo shachak mi'eru Shabbat. The Mishnah says, if he did not prepare the medicines that he needs from Eru Shabbat with the cumin, he hadn't ground it up beforehand in order to use after the milah, then he can chew it, he has whatever... Shinuim he does in order to prepare it to be used on Shabbat. Turn Banan. Tavrim she'en osim le'milah b'Shabbat osim la b'Yom Tov. Items that you cannot do for the milah on Shabbat, you may do them on Yom Tov for the milah. And that is, shochakim la'kimon. You can grind up the cumin for the milah on Yom Tov. And that's because Yom Tov has heterochal nefesh. And we'll see in one second that you can use it to spice the k'dera not just as a medicine for the milah. Betorfin la yain v'shemen. You can mix the wine and oil together. Amar le'abai the Rav Yosef. Maishna kimon b'yom tov techazilik teiro. What's different about kimon on yom tov where it's ra'ui to put into the cooking that you're doing, into the dishes that you're making? And that's why you can do it on yom tov and not worry about it in terms of the milah. Yain v'shemen chazinami v'shabad l'cholem. Yain and shemen, they are for a on Shabbat, and therefore, why can't you mix them together on Shabbat? Our Mishnah says that you're not allowed to mix the yain and shemen together. The Tanya, which is similar to our Mishnah, the Brayta, that you're not allowed to mix beet together the wine and the oil for a on Shabbat. After fim yain v'shemen, you're allowed to mix them on Shabbat. Amr b'shem ben Lazar. This is why he has this testimony. Pamachat chash Rabbi Meir b'me'af. Meir had a stomachache. Obikashnu litroflo yain v'shemen. We wanted to make him this medicine of beaten wine and oil. V'lo hinichanu. And he did not permit us to do this. Amarnu lo. Varecha yibatlu b'chayechwa. It's during your lifetime. You're of the opinion that this trifa of yain v'shemen on Shabbat is permissible. And you're stopping us from doing it even in your lifetime. That means there's no chance that the misora of your opinion will pass down. Amarlanu, he responded to us. Even though that's my position. And my friends, meaning my opponents, those that are my Baal Machloket, say opposite me. Disagree. I never had the gumption to violate the words of my friend. In that I am my position in the face of my friends. Very similar to a statement that we saw back on Kufiyot Amud Bet. Because on Kufiyot Amud Bet, the author of that statement is Rabbi Yossi. He says that I never violated the words of my friend. If they told me to be a Kohen and go up and Dochen, I would. This is Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yossi are Balkluktot. And each one of them is saying, Yamai lo avarti al chaverai. Who? Niu demachmer nafshei. That was a chumrah that Rabbi Meir assumed upon himself. Aval de guli alma, shuri. But as far as normative halacha, it's clear that Rabbi Meir believes that one can do this on Shabbat. So now we have the Brita that suggests that you could do it on Shabbat. Rabbi Meir is doing, suggesting you could do it on Shabbat. Our Mishnah that says you may not do it on Shabbat. In our Mishnah is a Stam Mishnah. Stam Mishnah is Rabbi Meir. So that's the case. We have a stira in the position of Rabbi Meir. Where it says, over there, it does not require beating. By the case of Rabbi Meir, when he wanted to have the oil and the wine together, they just need to be mixed together. They didn't need to be beaten heavily together. That is permitted. In our case, by Milah, by Leka, they need to be beaten heavily together. They need to be mixed in such a way 
so that the oil and the wine are no longer separated within the mixture, and that is impermissible. So, so let us say over here, let us do like Rabbi Meir. Let's mix it like Rabbi Meir suggests, and not beat it together. We'll do it up to the point that is permissible, but not what is impermissible. How come our mission only says you can put on the wine by itself and then the oil by itself? Why doesn't it say you can mix them together, just don't beat them together? He says that is exactly what Mishnah means. Is the equivalent of mixing them together. Because if you don't beat them, automatically oil will float to the top. So if you have oil and wine together, if you simply just mix them together, they will naturally separate. And it will be as if the oil is separate from the wine. So it's the equivalent of putting the wine and the oil onto the wound separately. The only way to keep them mixed together, or to have the solution be a single solution, is if you beat them. That is impermissible on Shabbat. So the Mishnah's suggestion here is the solution of what Rabbi Meir said was mutar on Shabbat. One may not sift the mustard in its sifter in its sieve. And you may not sweeten it with a coal. The way they used to sweeten it was they throw a hot coal into the mustard seed, and that would cause them to sweeten as the coal extinguished inside of the mustard seed. So I'm really a bither of Yosef. Why is this different than a Mishnah that we have? It's not. You're allowed to put an egg into the sieve, the sifter of the mustard. Over there, it doesn't look like you're doing borer. Over here, it looks like you're doing borer. So now, Tosavot says, why does it only look like borer and not borer? If you're using the sifter, the sieve of the mustard seed, then why isn't that really borer? When you do that, you're trying to take out the impurities. Why isn't that borer? Tosavot over here says, because the psolet that you take out by the mustard seed is also it's not the equivalent of a strainer what you use for the wine where you take out the dregs of the wine which are not versus the liquid that you're trying to get through over here both parts that you are separating the part that goes through and the part that stays above the sieve or the sifter are edible and therefore it's not classified as borer this is not so simple because right we don't pass in this way the aloha we say that even if it's ra'u'i la'achila, if you don't want it, then it's psolet, subjectively it's psolet for you. The only way it will not be is if you have someone miyad who will eat it. So for instance, if you don't like tomatoes and your wife likes tomatoes, you can pick out the tomatoes and hand them to your wife. Because for her, it's achila that's done miyad. And it's ochel that has a shame ochel on it and it's done miyad. But otherwise, you can't. Even if you have two types of ochel, if you separate them out and you don't want one, one is called psolet and one is called ochel, and you may not do that, on Shabbat. So it's not so simple that Tosavot says that it's ra'u'i la'achila. can't just be ra'u'i la'achila. It has to be something that is going to be used in the same manner that the object that is not being separated out is used. Right then, it says, You're not allowed to sweeten it by throwing in a coal. Don't we have a brayta that that you are able to sweeten it with a coal? Depends what type of coal you're talking about. You're talking about a metallic coal, or you're talking about a wooden coal. The reason is that a wooden coal turns into a pecham. A wooden coal turns into a black coal that can be used number one as coal in the future when it's extinguished. Wood. If you burn wood and the charcoal wood afterwards, those coals can be used in the future. Plus. They can use for, if you need it as a blackening agent. On the other hand, metallic coals. If you have metal that's heated to the point where it's red, then you throw it in and then it extinguishes. What you have left over is 
just metal again. You don't have a coal that's left over afterwards. So the extinguishment of wood or a wooden coal on Shabbat is a sur midoraito. The extinguishment of a metallic coal is only a sur midirabanan. So over here, where you're throwing it into the mustard seed, you're not really actively extinguishing it. Then we allow you to do that when it's a metallic coal. We do not allow you to do that when it is a wooden coal. And again, this will be for Yom Tov. Then on Yom Tov, you'll be able to sweeten the mustard. So I'm going to buy the Rav Yosef, Bisra Gumre. How is this different than roasting meat on the coals? So when you roast the meat on the coals, the blood, the juices drip onto the coals and they extinguish the coals. And nobody says you can't cook meat or roast meat on the coals on Yom Tov. You're allowed to make a barbecue on Yom Tov. You're allowed to cook. It's Eter Ochel Nefesh. Nobody stops you because maybe the liquids will fall into the coals and extinguish them. It's a difference between what you could have done before Yom Tov without any detraction in the freshness of the item versus what you can't do before Yom Tov. To roast the meat before Yom Tov is not the same meat if you roast it on Yom Tov. Fresh barbecue is significantly more tasty, much fresher, and a better Simchat Yom Tov. And you roast it and you cook it on the spot. You cooked it the day before. It's not as fresh. It's not as nice. It's not as good. And therefore, there's a value in roasting the meat today. With the mustard seeds, sweetening the mustard seeds today on Yom Tov or sweetening them yesterday, we're indifferent. It's the same thing. You have the same outcome, which is the sweetened mustard seeds, and they're no better if they were sweetened today than if they were sweetened yesterday. So therefore, with the mustard seeds, we say, don't do it today. You should have done it before Yom Tov. With the roasting of the meat, we have the dispensation of Ochel Nefesh to do it on Yom Tov itself. So, Yosef, Are you allowed to curdle milk to make cheese on Yom Tov? That is restricted. Now, the Asur here is Asur Midirabanan. Midoraita Gabain probably is allowed. We saw that back on Davtsadi Hay, that the Gemara says, is a problem of bonet. Problem of bonet over there. Tosafot mentions that megabin is only asur midirabanan. So making the cheese is the rabbanan. So he says myshnam elisha. Why is this different than kneading the dough? By the dough to have fresh bread on yom tov, that is a delicacy. That's something that's worthwhile baking on yom tov. Fresh bread. There's nothing like bread right out of the oven versus bread that was baked the day before. On the other hand, when you're talking about cheese, cheese is better with age. So you better have to curl and made the cheese the day before than you are to have to make it today. This you could have done beforehand. Didn't Nardai say that the cheese that's made that day is fantastic? It's not that that's better, that it's still good cheese. Even cheese that's made that day is good cheese. But it's even better if it's a day old or many days old. I mean that cheese is something that ages and does better with age rather than being fresh. So items that are better being fresh, we say that you can do them on Yom Tov. There's a heterochal nefesh kicks in. Items where there is no difference between the quality, the freshness of the item on Yom Tov versus if you did it before Yom Tov, we're going to insist that you do it before Yom Tov. There's no reason to violate Yom Tov for Ochel Nefesh if it really has no benefit on Yom Tov itself. But an interesting development today, I've never heard of say this, is that today almost nobody cooks on Yom Tov itself. Almost everybody cooks before Yom Tov, and any meat that you have in general is not going to be fresh meat on Yom Tov itself. Or no no fresh on Yom Tov. By that standard, that we would be willing to eat chicken that was made on Erev Yom Tov, and nobody insists on being the chicken being made on Yom Tov itself. That means for us today, that differential may not exist in terms of Yom Tov preparation. And if that's the case, there may no longer exist a Terochel Nefesh to make the chicken on Yom Tov, to make the meat on Yom Tov, because we are not so discerning. If we were so discerning, we would have prepared all the chicken and meat before 
Yom Tov, then put it in the fridge, then warm it up on Yom Tov, because we would have wanted it to be so fresh. The fact that we don't cook it on Yom Tov, and we cook it before and just heat it up on Yom Tov, is an indication that we aren't so makpid. For not so makpid, that might not take away the heter ochel nefesh, because the Gemara here says, if it's efshar, if it's Efshar to do it beforehand, and we're indifferent between it being done beforehand or not, then there may not be a Heter Ochel Nefesh. We don't permit it. At least there'll be an Isur Derabanan not to do it on Yom Tov itself. You could argue on the position that the fact that we cook the chicken beforehand is a matter of convenience, not a matter of freshness. Everybody would agree that chicken off the barbecue is much fresher and nicer than off the plata, right? It's a much better chicken. But for a matter of convenience, you can't cook that much, you can't barbecue that much meat on Yom Tov morning if the woman wants to get the shul, wants to daven, is having company, it's just too much to do on Yom Tov morning. So therefore, she saves the time by doing it before. But it's not an indication of the fact that we don't like the meat better or we wouldn't have it fresher. It's just a matter of practicality. So that could be an objection to Rosh position, but he does make that comment that today we may not have this etochon nefesh since we eat those items that are made prior to Yom Tov. So now the Mishnah says, Eno simla chaluk, you're not allowed to make this a finger glove that you put on the milah after it is done. If you have it from before Shabbat, you can put it on. But you can't make it on Shabbat. You can't make this sleeve that goes on to the milah. So Amr Abayi, now we're going to have a series of statements from Abayi of Amr Aliyim that my mother told me or my mother said to me. Now the interesting fact is that Abayi's mother passed away when he was very young. Rabba brought him up. Abayi lived in Rabba's house. He brought him up because Abayi's mother passed away when he was very young. When he says Amr Aliyim, he's not referring to his mother, but rather referring to his stepmother, to his nurse, to the woman who took care of him as a child. His adopted mother, in that sense. And so then when he says, I'm really aim, it's not really his mother, but whoever took care of him. Hi, Chaluk Dinoka. This sleeve that you put on the child that has a Brit Milah, the Fanye Lisitra Liilae. You should turn the hem to the upper side. Doma Midvik Garda Because what we're afraid of is one of the strings from the end, from the hem of the beged will get caught in the wound. And that will cause damage to the aver, will cause damage to this baby's aver, and will render him impotent. So actually says, if you take the imra, the hem, should turn it outward and put it on the top, so that it will not be close to bisaro, it will not be close to the wound. So you should slide on the sleeve with the hem on the outside, not only the hem on the outside, the outer edge, but also on the outside of the chaluk, because the loose strings from the end of the hem could if you put it on towards the aver, or if you put it on the inside, they could seal into the wound when the wound is healing. And then when you pull off the sleeve, those strings will rip off more than they're supposed to because they're caught inside the wound and cause damage when they are ripped off. Abai's mother used to make a lining for halfway up. She used to make an inner lining for this sleeve so that they didn't get caught. The strings or the hem wouldn't get caught because of an inner lining that was stitched to the outer sleeve. Now they needed the sleeve because the sleeve kept pressure on the wound and it slipped onto the milah. And that's what helped it to heal. But the problem was these loose strings and the ends on the hem. What she did was she created a lining halfway up that that lining that's set on the wound would protect it from the outer sleeve. Amar Abayi, Hayinoka Deletle Chaluk. If you don't have a Chaluk, you don't have the sleeve for after the Milah, 
Lighta blito, deitle sifto. You should bring worn down clothing, used clothing that has a hem to it. Lekarche le sifta litatai. Make sure when you put the hem on, the hem is on the lower end. The lower end means towards the outside of the milah. Ve And turn it inside out. You put the hem on, make sure that the hem is on the outside and not on the inside. So those are the two things again that you would do. You get a part of the beggar that has the hem on it because that's tighter. It allows you to create a tighter sleeve around the milah. But when you put it on, you should ensure that, number one, the hem is towards the outer edge, not towards the wound side. And you should also make sure that it's inside out, meaning that the hem is facing outward and not towards the inside, again, for the same problem, that we don't want the strings from the hem to get caught on the wound. A child that you do not know where its anus is. The shayfe mishcha, you should anoint it. You should put oil on that area. Hold them up in the sun. And where it is transparent, where it looks glassy. You should open up the hole there. With a barley seed. A barley seed that has a sharp edge, you should cut it. You should cut it like a plus sign, once horizontal, once vertical, to open that area to allow, or to create the anal hole. But you should not do it with a metallic glee, you should not make the cut. Because it has the potential to create inflammation, as a possibility of causing infection and inflammation, and therefore you shouldn't use the metallic glee. This young child that does not suck. It's because its lips are cold or too cool. How do you solve that problem? Bring a pan or a cup full of coals. And put it near his lips. Because that will warm his lips. It's interesting that the word Chaim, life, is also the word for warmth over here. The Chaim Pumei, that his lips will warm up. Umayitz, and then he will suck or suckle. He will be able to nurse. about what this Minashti is. Rashi says, Lo Minashti is that you do not see his chest moving up and down. You don't see him breathing. On the other hand, the Oroch says that you don't see him urinating. And you should fan him, bellow him with a nafvato. Whether it's nafvato is a fan or a sieve, whatever it is that you're using over here, you should fan that area. And that will cause him either going to Rashi to begin breathing, to have a pulse, or going to the Aruch to cause him to urinate. I have a child that is not breathing. This is breathing from its nose. Bring the afterbirth, the placenta of the mother. And you should wipe it on him. You should spread it on him. And that will cause him to breathe. You have a child that is small. Small here meaning skinny. Bring the afterbirth, the placenta of the mother, the lisharke ilave, and you should spread it on him, wipe it on him, but miputna the umma. You take the afterbirth placenta and take it from the narrow end to the thicker or wider end. So you wipe it on him from the narrow end through the wider end. It's a simon that he should go from being a katan to alim. The alim, if it's the other way around, it's very fat, is too much weight. Then miuma lukutna. When you wipe it on him, you go from the wider or bigger side, fatter side, to the narrower side. So the idea being that the action of moving the placenta over the baby in the direction of either being narrower or wider 
thicker, thinner, that will have hashpa'ah, that will have impact on the child and cause them, if they're skinny, to gain weight and if they have too much weight, to lose weight. From Rabayu, Amr Eliyim, here comes to be something that's more lalach of the ma'isa, which is, Hayinoka the sumak, a child that is colored or red, that child, lo ivla be'damo, that the reason that the child looks reddish or has a reddish complexion is because the blood has yet to be absorbed into the flesh. The blood is sitting between the skin and the flesh and has yet to be absorbed in the flesh. So then, that you should wait until the blood is absorbed into the flesh and then only then give him a milah. Because if you do the milah now, the blood would come rushing out. The blood is not absorbed in the flesh and therefore it would all come out. Diaruk, if he's green, probably here not green but yellow. This is equivalent of jaundice. Then, that's because... He doesn't have sufficient blood to give him the proper complexion, the more reddish complexion that he should have. And then you should wait until he gets reddish, meaning that the blood comes in, and then only then give him a milah. One time I traveled overseas to the islands of Bat Isha Lefanai. So a woman came to me, she gave a brit milah, circumcised her first child, and he passed away. Second child, the same thing, and he passed away. She brought him in front of me. I saw that he was reddish. He had this reddish complexion. Wait until the blood is absorbed and he doesn't have this reddish complexion. She waited until the blood was absorbed into the flesh. And they gave him a brit milah, circumcised him, and he lived. And they called him Natana Bavli after me. Went down to Africa. Woman who had circumcised her first son and passed away. Second son and passed away. Third child, she brings him in front of me. I saw that he was green, yellow, jaundice. I looked carefully and I saw that he didn't have the dambrit there yet. Wait until the blood comes in, until he's fully healthy. She waited and then gave him the Brit Milah, circumcised him, and he lived. And they used to call him Natana Bavli after me. Rashi says the problem here with the jaundice is actually twofold. The fact that the jaundice they think is caused by the fact that there's not blood there has two implications. One is that you may do the Brit Milah, you may do the circumcisions and the circumcision and not have blood come out. Now if it doesn't bleed, you're missing one of the aspects of Milah, which is Hatafa Dambrit. That part of Brit Milah is not only to remove the orla, but it's also to have the covenant, the covenant which is done through the dam, the blood that's there. That's why someone already has a brit milah, but wasn't done. The shame brit milah, or a ger, who already has a brit, but wants to join B'nai So has to do what I call hatafat dambrit. They have to let some blood out. So number one is, if there's no dambrit there, and it's not going to bleed, when you do the surgery, quote-unquote, to remove the orla, then you'll be lacking hatafat dambrit. That's one. And number two is, that it's dangerous because this child doesn't have the strength to survive the milah. And that's what today, we're very mocked today, again, with children who have jaundice, children who are, for whatever reason, weaker when they're born, that we wait to give them a brit milah until they're fully healthy, until they reach a stage where they are three days inside of the category of being healthy, and then only then do we give them a brit milah. Generally, the molim, uh, the moel, is actually more makpid than the doctors, and they usually the humrah, they wait a little longer. The doctors will say that the baby's healthy, the malim will wait until they see that the full collection of the child's come back, and then wait three days in order to do the milah. 
in order to be certain, you don't want to have any risk associated with the milah, that you don't want the child to be in danger in Sakana. Alright, next Mishnah. You can wash the baby, bathe the baby in hot water, both before the milah and after the milah. And then you can sprinkle the hot water on him with your hand, but not with a utensil. On the third day after his milah, if it falls down on Shabbat, you're allowed to wash the baby in hot water, Shinemar, because it says we had this mission earlier in the Kuavim. So on the third day when the Anshe Shechem were in pain, then that's when Shimon and Levi went in and attacked them and killed them. Safek Vandroginus. Safek Rashi says over here is a Safek of whether he was born in the eighth month or the ninth month. According to the Gemara, a baby born in the eighth month is Evan is like a stone or Yanamakala for him Shabbat. The Safek whether he's eighth month or ninth month. So Safek is it Ben Chai or not? Androginus does a Safek. So therefore, we wouldn't do a milah, we wouldn't cause chilul shabbat because of a safek. Rabbi Yehuda matir ban joginus. Rabbi Yehuda has a limot that says that joginus is included here. Vaha amart reisha marchitzim. The Mishnah seems to be inconsistent. The Mishnah says marchitzim that you can wash the baby with hot water, and then it goes and qualifies it almost and says, oh, only by hand and not by kli. But it makes it seem like the first statement in the Mishnah marchitzim is that you can do this even though you're doing it by kli. How do you explain this Mishnah? So Yehuda, Rabbi Baravua, Amri Torvayu, they both said Ketzat Tani. That the Mishnah is giving a qualification to the first statement. They're not two separate statements, but rather the second statement qualifies the first statement. How do you do that? That's the way they explain the Mishnah. means that you wash him, wash him normally. So how could you say that Marchitzim means really Mizalfin Alabiyad? You have two verbs used here. One is Marchitzim and one is Mizalfim. And you're telling me that the Marchitzim that's written in the beginning of the Mishnah means Mizalfim. Then write Mizalfim. Don't write Marchitzim. Aroma Rova. Rova interprets the Mishnah differently. Hochitani. Marchitzim et katan Ben limilifnei amila Ben achar mila Beyom harishon Kid darko. On the first day, on the day of the mila, you can wash the baby in hot water, whether it's before or after the mila, normally. Uva shiyom ha-shilishi shichaliyot b'shabbat if the third day after the milah falls out on Shabbat, then the Tanakhama says, Mizalvin ala biyad you can sprinkle hot water on him, biyad, but not in a kli. And Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah argues, Omer machitzim et akadam yom shlishi shechali yom b'shabbat, you can wash him, Normally, on the third day, So what Rabbah does is shift the machloket into the third day. He says on the first day, everybody agrees that you can wash the baby normally, without any questions. It's only when you come to the third day that we have a machloket between the Tanakhama who says you're going to be Mizalif, and Rabbi Elazar ben Azari who says you can wash him like normal. Versus Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Baravua who suggest that the whole Mishnah thinks that you can only be Mizalef. Even the Tanakhama thinks on the first day you can only be Mizalef. The Rabbi Lazar ben Azari argues on the third day and the assumption would be that he would argue on the first day as well. He says on the third day you're allowed to wash them normally and certainly you should be allowed to wash them on the first day which would mean that they're arguing throughout. From first day and the third day, the Tanakhama says Mizalef. 
And Rabbi Lezer says, Marchitim, according to Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Baravua. So this Machloket Amoraim, how to explain the Mishnah, and obviously it has implications. When it says, Tanya Kavoti Dorovo, we have a Brighter that supports Rovo's understanding of the Mishnah. Marchitim Akadan Ben Lifnei Amila, Ben Achar Amila, Biyom Rishon Kedarko. On the first day, like normal, Ubiyom Ashlishi Shechaliot Bishabbat. And if the third day turns out on Shabbat, Mizalfir Alabiyad, then you're allowed to sprinkle on him. You're allowed to wash him normally if third day falls out on Shabbat. Even though there's no proof to this, there's at least a mention of it. That when the third day when they were in pain. Now we have a last, almost seems to be a prologue to the just a statement that has no context. And when you sprinkle on it, you can't use a cup, you can't use a bowl, you can't use any utensil to do it, you can only do it by hand. So now that last statement seems to be modifying Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah. That doesn't make so much sense, because Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah says you're allowed to wash normally. So why would this be here at the end, qualifying the statement of Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah? So, Atam the Tanakama. That the Gemara answers and says that that statement is qualifying or modifying the Tanakama. Tanakama says, Mizalfim, doesn't just say you can be Mizalef with the glee, you have to do Mizalef biyad. So that's qualifying the Tanakhama's position. So my Afopishain Raya the Davar Zechel the Davar. Why isn't the proof from Shechem a really good proof? Mishom de Gadol lo Salik Bisra Hai Katan Salik Bis Be Bisra Hai. So Hai means quickly. An adult's wound heals slowly. So it might be that by Anche Shechem. The reason that on the third day they were in so much pain is because their wounds heal more slowly. A child whose wound will heal much more expediently, maybe over there the third day isn't as significant. That's why Rabbi Lozim Nazariah says it's a Zechel Davar ben Because we can't necessarily extrapolate that which is true by an adult to a child. Maybe by the child it would cure or heal faster. And therefore, the third day would not be as significant as it is for the Anshe Shechem. How the Atta the Kamei Derova, this individual came before Rava, Orile Kishmatei. He passed based on his understanding of the Mishnah, which was that even on the first day you could wash normally. Because there, everybody agrees. Kulei Alma agrees that you can wash. Ichlish Rava. Rava fell ill. Why am I getting involved in these types of explanations of the elders? Review the Rava Baravua. We're prior to Rava. They are second generation Amoraim. Rava is a fourth generation Amora. He's saying, why am I getting involved in the explanation of the Mishnah and arguing on these elders, arguing on these Amoraim that explain the Mishnah differently? Because they believe that on the first day you're only allowed to be Mizalef. I'm saying you can watch. And Rava is suspecting that he fell ill because he gave the Psakaloka according to his Shita. So he says, why am I bothering with this? I'm really Rabban and the Rava, you have a Brita, we just brought a Brita that supports your understanding. So what are you so worried about? We have a Brita, we have a Tanaic work that supports your understanding. Says, I didn't want to say this, but truthfully, the Mishnah is Miduyak, like the position of Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Barvua. Mimai, how do you know this? Midikama Rabbi Lazim and Azariah. Because when the Mishnah brings the position of Rabbi Lazim and Azariah, it says, Rabbi Lazim and Azariah Omer, Marchitzim et HaKatan B'yom HaShlishi Shechaliot B'Shabbat. You're allowed to bathe normally a child on the third day that falls out on Shabbat. Iyamart Bishlama Tanakama Mizalfin Kamar. That would make sense if the Tanakama says Mizalfin, that you can sprinkle. Then Hainu Dekamerle Rabbi Lazim and Azariah Marchitzim. His response to the Tanakama is, bathe. Tanakam says, sprinkle. Along comes the Blessed Benazayan and says, bathe. Eleiyamart, if you read the Mishnah like I did, that when he says that on Yom Rishon you're allowed to bathe normally, and only sprinkle on the third day, 
Hi, Rabbi Lazar ben Azayi Omer Marchitzin. It shouldn't say that Rabbi Lazar ben Azayi says you can bathe. It should say, Af Marchitzin Bimilayilei. You can also bathe. Because the Tanakhama's position would be you can bathe on the first day, sprinkle on the third day. But if that's the case, all Rabbi Lazar ben Azayi is doing is extending the statement of the Tanakhama from the first day to the third day. As you said, just like you say, bathe on the first day, Af Marchitzin Bimilayilei. You so too, you can bathe on the third day. The fact that the Mishnah makes a statement without the Af, without a connection to the the previous statement of Tanakama indicates that the Tanakama never made a statement involving Marchitzim. So that's what Rabbi says, despite the fact that I have a bright of supporting me, the Mishnah seems to indicate against me. Kiyata Ravdimi Amr Abelazar, Alochat Rabbalazar ben So when Ravdimi came, he said in the name of Rabbalazar, that Allah is like Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah. Now, truthfully, that solves all problems. Because if we pass them like Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah, Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah says you can bathe on the first day and you can bathe on the third day. So according to Rover, it will turn out that that will also mean that the Tanakhama agrees on the first day. But if we pass them like Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah, it becomes irrelevant because then according to everyone, you can be Marchitzim, whether it's the first day or the third day, according to Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah. What's interesting is that Rova is a Batra. And generally, when Rova gives a Psaq we follow the Psaq of Rova. So we're here, if we were paskining like the Tanakama, we'd follow the position of Rava. But since we paskin like Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah, it renders the whole discussion before moot, because we're not paskining like the Tanakama, and their explanation only differs within the Tanakama. Everybody agrees that Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah believes that you can do full bathing on the first day and the third day. Havu Baba Marava. When we say that you can bathe the child, does that mean the entire body of the child? Or does that mean just the aver? Rabbi Yaakov Shemei. One of the Rabbanan spoke up, and Rabbi Yaakov is his name. It must make sense that we're talking about the entire body. How's that different than putting hot water onto a wound. You'll have to put hot water and oil onto a wound with Shabbat without worrying about it at all. So if it's simply one aver, that's permitted for everybody, not just for a person that is circumcised that had a milah. So here, if we're giving a dispensation because of the sakana from the Brit milah, it must be for something more than that. What's more than that? That you're allowed to bathe the entire body, not just the aver that is problematic. Talking about two different types of hot water here. When Rob made a statement that you're allowed to put hot water onto your wound, that's with hot water that was heated up before Shabbat. So there was no violation of Shabbat. Over here by the Milah, we're talking about water that was heated up on Shabbat for the needs of the baby. So that could be the differentiation. Maybe you can only put that water on the wound itself. Ah, uh, Rav says that by anybody. Well, yeah, by anybody. We're talking about water that was heated up before Shabbat. Here we're talking about water that was heated on Shabbat. You can still use it for the Aver. How do you know that in our Mishnah, they're discussing water that was heated on Shabbat? Maybe our mission is also discussing a case where the water was heated up before Shabbat. I wanted to answer this. But Rabbi Yosef jumped in front of me and answered me. Because we're going to see in a second, there's a brighter that ends with the words, because his life is in danger. And the fact that the bright ends that way is indicative of the fact that whatever we're talking about in the Mishnah is allowing you to violate Shabbat, to be Mechalel Shabbat. If we're talking about Marchitzim on Shabbat, Rechitza itself is not a violation of Shabbat. The reason we don't do Rechitza on Shabbat is an Easter of the Rabbanah. It's a Gzeirah. Gzeirah, maybe you'll heat up the water on Shabbat. 
So clearly, if we're giving dispensation over here, we're giving dispensation for Sakana, that means we're allowing you to heat water on Shabbat. And that is, eat marnami, kiata rabbin amrabo, amrabalazar, amrila amrabo, amrabiokana loka, grablazar ben azaria, ben bechamim shukmu be Shabbat, ben bechamim shukmu be erv Shabbat, whether the water is heated up before Shabbat or on Shabbat, ben charchatzat kogufo, whether you are bathing the entire body, ben charchatzat milah, whether you're just bathing that aver, mipnei shesakana hilo. This is what Rav Yosef was quoting before. Abaye was a Talmud of Rav Yosef, wanted to jump in and give the answer, but Rav Yosef's Rebbe spoke up first, because the bright ends, mipnei shesakana hilo, or this memra that we have from Eretz Yisrael, says or ends with mipnei shesakana hilo, which gives you a dispensation for chilul Shabbat, means that you're allowed to heat up the water even on Shabbat. Kufa, what about this statement of Rav? Shabbat. Allowed to put oil and hot water onto a wound on Shabbat. You're not allowed to place it directly on the wound. You have to place it above the wound and let it drip down into the wound. You're not allowed to put oil or hot water onto a tuft, onto a bandage, and put it on the wound on Shabbat. So it sounds like Shmuel. Shmuel says you can't apply it directly. Here, if you put on the bandage and put it on the wound, you're going to apply it directly. So this sounds like a bright that supports Shmuel's position. The Gemara says, no, the problem is not because you're putting it directly on the wound. The problem is that you're putting it into an absorbent material. And if that's the case, when you come to put it on, you might squeeze it out. You might be in violation of Sechita. Tashma. The bandage is already in place. You're not allowed to put oil or hot water onto the bandage on the wound Bishabbat. So again, it sounds like Shmuel that you can't apply it directly. Same problem there. The bandage is the problem, not the wound. Because if you get the bandage wet, then we may come to Sechita. Now we have an explicit writer that's like Shmuel. You're not allowed to put Chamin Bishemin onto a Makkah on Shabbat. You place it outside of the wound and you let it drip down. But even though generally, when we have a machokot rav and shmuel, bi'isurei aloch kirav, over here you have a brighter that supports the position of shmuel, and therefore we're going to pass it like shmuel, and not like rav. Tan rabbanan. Otim agabe makah moch yavesh. You're allowed to put on top of a makah some tuft, some soft material that is dry. Usfog yavesh, or a dry sponge, absorbent material. Avalo gemi yavesh, you can't put on a dry reed. Velo kititin yaveshim, and not rags that are dried out. It says, kashak titim akititim. You have a stira within the brighter that we just bribed between clothing and clothing. Now truthfully, the stira is because moch yavesh is soft tough soft cloth that is dried out and ktitim are rags that are dried out. So here you have two items that are talking about cloth. One of them it says you're allowed to use and one of them it says you're not allowed to use. And when it says lokasha, depends if it's new or old. New or old here Rashi says whether it's been used for a wound before or if it's not been used for a wound before. So the case where you're not allowed to put it on is the new baguette because the new baguette is curative or has curative properties and because of those curative properties it's like doing medicine or practicing medicine on Shabbat and you can't put that on. If you have an old one that was already used that does not have curative properties anymore, and that you can put on the wound on Shabbat. So the answer is that the first two items in the Brayta are items that are not curative. They simply protect the wound from getting ripped off, from scratching against other items. That type of bandage you're allowed to put on on Shabbat, because that's simply protecting the wound. That's not the practice of medicine on Shabbat. On the other hand, the latter two items that are mentioned in the Brayta are medicinal, curative in nature, and those are impermissible. Those are not allowed to be done on Shabbat, and that's the answer of the Gemara, that the latter half of the Brayta is talking about charate, new ones that have curative properties that you cannot put on on Shabbat. The early part of the Brayta 
Brayta is talking about old ones that do not have those curative properties and therefore you're allowed to put them on on Shabbat. The conclusion from this is these bigadim, these rags, these old pieces of clothing or cloth have curative properties because otherwise there'd be no reason to ask for them on Shabbat. The fact that the Brayta says you can't use them on Shabbat means that they are efficacious. And if they're efficacious, that's a problem of Fuan. That's what causes them to have any Surah on Shabbat. Okay, we'll stop over here.